Chapter Six: Abmore Crabs and Water Dragons. Lions, Captain John said. Stuart Nicholas Lions, but sir, he's been missing for years. We'll need to find him then, Lear said. Very well, Captain John said. Then turned to a Murrow guard. Sound the alarm. Within moments, the fortress bellowed a whale-like horn. You come with us, Captain John said to Yuri. They quickly marched to the back of the hall as mermaids and men rushed in a frenzy from the approaching monster. Just on the other side of the congregation was a waterhole encircled by a golden banister. Duke Lear wants you close, so I'm afraid you'll be accompanying us to the bridge. Captain John explained, pointing to the waterhole. It looked placid and was difficult to see through. This is a merway to the bridge, much like the tubes you see all around here. You first. Yuri gulped at the merway. I'm very good with stairs, but is there? It's twelve levels down. We'll be dead by then, Captain John said. Afraid this is our only recourse. And with that. The Murrow captain stiffened his index finger and forcibly tapped Yuri on the shoulder. He tried to grab for the merman's arm as he fell into the water, but the only thing he caught was the captain's smirk. The merway's current immediately pulled Yuri into the tube, almost sucking out the precious bit of oxygen trapped in his cheeks. The tube quickly turned right and banged him against the side. He lost his oxygen after all. The translucent tube suddenly went gray, and he could tell they were outside the fortress. With a nice straightaway, the merway increased its speed. His arm skin and lips began to drag behind him. He put his hands out to slow it down, though he really wanted to be out of this ghoulish merway as soon as possible. But the surface felt like glass and was little help to him. The merway cut left, and everything went from gray to stone black. Yuri's mouth tried to open for a gulp of oxygen. He forced it closed, but his lungs were starting to ache. The merway whipped him in an almost complete circle. Dropped, whipped a second time, then a third, fourth, fifth. Yuri lost count. Meanwhile, lights from outside the tube flashed on, and there were ghostly figures. They disappeared. They came back again and disappeared a second time. This happened over and over. He must have been moving between levels. Yuri was turned upside down. He looked to his feet, which were upward. He saw a small light in the distance. He might actually make it out of this nightmare. He gulped for air. Water blew into his lungs. He gulped a second time. Water rushed through his nostrils. He pounded the glass, crying out in his mind. He was going to die upside down in this tube. Like a geyser, the merway flung Yuri through the opening, feet first. He flipped once. Landed on his bum, and then fell over, gagging. A large hand slapped him between the shoulder blades, and he coughed out what seemed like gallons of water. You were a little slow, Captain John said, but not so bad after all. I half expected to be rescuing you with an airworm. Now, afraid I've got a bridge to look after. He spun around and bellowed, "Forgo port maneuvers, helmsman, planesman." Withdraw ballasts, right rudder, and all ahead flank. From somewhere, 
Yuri could feel the engines growl as the floating fortress leaned hard away from the cliff face and turned. Weapons gone, Captain John said. Engage Hex shields, flank Bell, Helmsman, open that throttle, give it all she's got. Engineering, status report. As Captain John barked out orders to his merman, Yuri took a second to choke out the last bit of water. The next time Jameson asks me to cover his shift, he said, moving to his hands and knees, the answer will be undoubtedly no. He slowly climbed to his feet, trying to orient himself, but it proved to be difficult. The only thing separating the ocean from the bridge were sheets of glass divided up by iron beams. Through the glass, he could see a 360-degree panoramic view of the underwater ocean. Yuri walked slowly toward the view. Powerful fortress lamps cast an indigo light, making the water look smoky and melancholy. If there was some kind of underwater threat out there, he couldn't see it. Release the lumens, Captain John said. Eighty-five percent. Releasing lumens, several voices repeated the order. Came the sound of hatches opening below deck. Thousands of jellyfish, as small as apples and as bright as the noonday sun, shot from the fortress into the dark waters. The ocean bloomed with the lumens, making it look like a sea of stars. They lit the underwater plainly. Yuri could see mountain ridges and their canyons to the east, a forest of kelp running along the cliffs of the west, and a hundred yards away, two water dragons staring back at them. Yuri whimpered. The water dragons were unlike land dragons in that they were wingless and had an eel's body, but they were like land dragons in that they shared the same wicked faces with their sliver-black eyes and hyena-shaped head. Also, they breathed fire. The water dragon's nostrils looked to be lava pits, and their teeth resembled the gates to the very heat of Mount Kinova. The water dragon on the left seemed to have blue fire in its craw, while the dragon on the right had yellow fire. Dujinin were saddled on the back of the beasts. They wore a breathing contraption and held reins harnessed to black metal helmets with goat-shaped horns. These horns must have been what smashed into the fortress earlier. Yuri turned to Captain John to inquire about a bathroom immediately, but the captain could not be found among the chaos. What he did see were several Muro officers rushing around. One officer stood in the middle of the bridge, gripping a wheel. Above him, large pipes dropped from the ceiling to several unmanned stations. At the far end were stacks of barrels lashed down, and an assortment of different shaped cannons and projectiles. Several hatches, murways, and portholes went to undescript places. Two cylinders with the words engines painted on the front lay parallel to each other. Directly behind the engines and outside of the fortress, two gargantuan-sized propellers churned up the water. Captain John appeared behind Yuri with a short, freckle-faced officer. Sir, the officer said to Captain John, we have the Dujinin at bay for the moment. Ensign Thrickly executed repeller, a well-executed hex if I do say so myself should give us enough time to escape if the furnaces are held to maximum. Tell me, Quartermaster Tiggs, Captain John said. Was Ensign Thrickle on his fourth hard juice of the evening? Quartermaster Tiggs slowly opened his mouth and then closed it. 
He looked like a beached fish. Then he performed a terrible hex, and we have minutes before they break through. We could try for a phantom hex and be gone before they know it, Quartermaster Tiggs offered. Prancing in parlor tricks, Captain John shot back. We must kill the water dragons. Quartermaster Tiggs' eyes grew. Well, very well, sir. I know we've got a humbling aboard, but we cannot... He glanced quickly to Yuri, then back to the captain. We cannot do it dry. We're too slow, sir. These contraptions are good for politicians, not battle. On that, you are correct, Captain John said, looking at their automaton legs. We need to flood the compartment. Very sorry, Yuri. Excuse me? Yuri looked to Quartermaster Tiggs and Captain John. We must be able to swim freely to fulfill our duties, Captain John said. Our automaton legs are no good for an underwater battle. We will need to fill the bridge with water. But I can't breathe underwater, Yuri said. Captain John looked to a station to his left. Flood the bridge. The officer nodded and spun a wooden wheel several times. Tiny holes from floor to ceiling opened up and showered the compartment. The merways and hatches erupted with water. Sir! Yuri called after Captain John, already walking through a foot of water. I'm without gills! Quartermaster Tig trudged away and quickly returned with a small chest. It bobbled up and down in the rising water. What say you, Captain John? What say you, Captain John? Quartermaster Tiggs nodded to Yuri, trying to yell over the spraying water. Miggeries! I don't think he can stomach the pint of lava worms, Captain John said. The water licked at Yuri's calves. Jelly troll fat, Quartermaster Tiggs said, opening the chest and rummaging through it. Afraid not, Tiggs. Doesn't have the build for it, Captain John said. His heart would blow up to the size of a pig bladder. The water had risen to Yuri's waist. Ah, mole mouse venom for sure, Quartermaster Tiggs said. The shakes and vomiting would take an hour at least. We do not have the time. You're right, of course, Quartermaster Tiggs said. Besides, I believe he is partial to his fingernails. They are well manicured. I don't think he'd like them melting off. Might I suggest more crabs then, sir? How do you feel about more crabs? Captain John yelled to Yuri over the spraying water. Oh, quite tasty, sir. Yuri nodded, the water now to his chest. Especially smothered in larmy sauce. Good, Captain John said as he grabbed the back of Yuri's head, reaching into the floating chest and raised up the belly of a living Obmore crab. Yuri flinched. Its underside had two roaming tendrils, two throbbing suckers, and a mass of smaller tendrils near its belly. He shoved the crab in Yuri's face. Yuri thrashed in the rising water as the Obmore crab wrapped around his head. Two cold tendrils slithered down his eardrums, and the sucker sealed around his eyes, making it impossible to blink. The mass of smaller tendrils ran down his mouth and nose. He choked from the feeling of hundreds of worms filling his chest. He thought swallowing salt water was bad enough, but now his lungs were being filled with crab appendages. 
Well, today's episode is sponsored by the Nicholas and Company series. Buy the entire audio series online at audible.com and read the entire Nicholas and Company series for free, absolutely free on your ebook reader, now on Amazon or any online ebook store. Remember teens, take a ride, read a book, and be sure to stick around at the end to hear from our author, Kevin McGill. Captain John yanked Yuri underwater and, strangely enough, spoke to him. Breathe, Yuri. Just breathe. Yuri tried to rip off the crab, but it squeezed harder. His arms flailed, and he reached for the surface, only to find that the bridge was completely flooded. Finally, with no other alternative, he took a breath. It might as well have been a spring day in Gromwell Village. He could breathe deeply and fully. In fact, the bridge looked and sounded even better than before. The only difference was, it felt like all gravity had been removed, letting him float around. All more crabs were born without any senses or abilities to breathe underwater, Captain John said. But their food sources dwell ocean below. They use host bodies such as land mammals and you humlings to travel through the ocean. For the Murrow's sake, they make it much easier for you to breathe underwater and communicate with us, as I am doing now. No worries, Yuri. It's not permanent. Yuri turned his crab face to Captain John. But it's horrifying, isn't it? The captain smiled, unbuckled his automaton legs, and swam to his captain's chair. Lear quickly zipped out of the murway and asked the captain for a status report. While they were conferring, a ring of light flashed outside the fortress. Captain John looked up, and our outer defenses just went away. As I said, Officer Threckle's repeller was useless. Helmsman Frameth, mark your head. Two, five, three, said an olive-skinned merman. Dive sixty feet, mark two, five, six, Captain John said. Calm, alert the fortress. We're going full submersion. The water dragons tucked back and sped outside the lumen's light. Look, Captain, Yuri said with a touch of hope. The water dragons are fleeing. They do not flee, Captain John said. They join. Join? Yuri started to say when the water dragons reappeared, twisting around each other like two ropes. They were rushing the fortress. Brace for impact, Captain John said. Horns and snouts slammed into the glass. The fortress shuddered, but the glass remained intact. The water dragons whipped around and disappeared a second time. Not enough to break through, Yuri chuckled to himself. They were testing our defenses, Lear explained, trying to assess our hexes. We have 14 currently active ones, but they're not done with us. The water dragons travel with their mates for a reason. The male's fire is blue, the female's yellow. Separately, neither fire can penetrate our hexes, but when they join their fire together, the sun itself would be hewn in two. The points of light were spinning around each other in the distant ocean, a blue and a yellow one. The lights increased in size until Yuri could see the flames. The water dragons were breathing fire as they spun. Blue flames rolled into yellow and yellow whipped into blue until the flames were a fiery emerald. Left full rudder, Helmsman, Captain John said. Left full rudder, Helmsman Frameth repeated. The sound of bending metal came as the fortress leaned heavy to the left. Tactical, speak to me, Captain John said. 
Distance to collision. Officer Thrush called out. Starboard, 500 yards. The combined dragon's fire cut a swath through the horde of lumens, igniting the jellyfish like firecrackers on Midsummer's Eve. Weapons. Ready siren shafts, Captain John said. Ready siren shafts, called a sailor. Distance to collision, Officer Thrush said. 200 yards. Yuri could see a ring of bubbles around the dragon fire. It boiled frenetic and angry. Chaff ready, sir, called a sailor. Distance to collision, Officer Thrush said. 30 yards. The glass began to steam with the dragon's heat. The metal braces whined, threatened to unsnap and shatter the glass. Yuri looked to Captain John, whose right hand bobbed in the water as his hair wormed freely. What was he waiting for? Distance to collision, Officer Thrush said. 13 yards, 10 yards, 8 launch siren shafts, Captain John ordered. Launching siren shafts, the sailor called back. Three cigar-shaped iron pods with small propellers ejected from somewhere below and toward the water dragons. The mechanical decoys emitted a low, metallic sound, almost putting Yuri to sleep instantly. The musical decoys swept just past the head of the water dragons, who immediately curled around and followed after. The Dujin and riders tried to steer their beats back to course, but they wouldn't be altered. Sirens are Water Dragon's main source of food, Quartermaster Tiggs said. This song might as well have been a call to dinner. Our phono-recorded ones make a fine alternative. The Water Dragons continued to spin towards their own tail. So taken by their decoy, they forgot to stop breathing their green fire. The flames cut right through their tails and ran up their backs. While they were thrashing wildly, the two Dujin and riders tried to eject, but weren't quick enough. Captain John released a long-held breath. I think that will... A leviathan appeared. Yuri's stomach melted away as gasps swept from around the bridge. Dear Marie, Captain John said. The great sea monster filled the entire view at the rear of the ship. Lumens cast thousands of light across its face, which was armored in bony plate. The plate was made up of thousands of incisor teeth. It had a large midsection that edged the ocean floor and water surface. Bolted into its cranium was an enclosed iron carriage. It seemed to be a deck from where the Dujinin controlled their beast. Yuri could see several men holding reins that were harnessed to its head, arms, and legs. Reverse engines! Captain John yelled, Full reverse! Sailors and officers exploded into action. Mermen swam by and the water swirled as the bridge did everything they could to put some distance between the fortress and the impossibly large monster. Quartermaster Tiggs swam past Yuri, saying to himself, Monster will just crush us against the cliffs! The engines moaned as they were put into full use. The fortress turned sharply and the leviathan's face angled away as its orbish eyes tracked their movement. We must abandon ship, Duke, Captain John said. We cannot leave this ship, Lear said. You saw what the fowls did to my brother-in-law and sister. They will not stop until we have all been infected. Then what are your orders, Captain John said. Lear paused and then said to himself, We'll be the decoy. Bearing 329 helmsmen, dive 23 feet then rudder amidships, a straight line away. Let it chase us. Helmsman Frameth confirmed the order and sent it down. 
the fortress was surprisingly nimble for its size. Within moments, they were quickly out of the Lumen's light range and in the dark, open ocean. They could only hope the Leviathan was of the slow sort. May I, Captain? Lear said, pointing to the captain's chair. The most decorated captain of the Nine Seas. Of course, Duke, Captain John said. The men traded places. Lear swung his chair and faced the churning propellers. He called out, Ensign Primus, bow lights. Let's see if it's chasing us. Twenty lamps flickered on and Yuri could see the wicked reflection of the Leviathan's eyes between the propellers. The monster was keeping steady. He changed his mind. It wasn't keeping steady. It was gaining on them. They've got a quick one, Captain John said. Good, Lear said. Engine room, prepare for Jasper maneuver. The sailors stopped their activity for a moment, the tension palpable, but then resumed. This was Duke Lear, after all. The Leviathan's snout came into view, and the lamplights shined off its bony shell. The shell's teeth edges were covered in barnacles and mollusks. Distance to collision, Officer Thrush said. Fifty yards. Engine room, Lear said. On my mark, invert propellers twenty degrees. We must time this right, Mermen. Distance to collision, Officer Thrush said. Twenty-three yards. Twenty-one yards. Eighteen yards. Seventeen. Sixteen. Fifteen. Fourteen. Invert propellers, Lear commanded. A dull noise came from the engines and the propellers turned toward each other. The whirling bubbles now concealed the bottom part of the Leviathan's jaw, but its eyes, black, still peered over the churning water. Nine yards, Officer Thrush called. Eight, seven, six. Lear pounded his fist. Eject propellers! Two sailors gripped floor levers and pulled with their entire body. Both propellers burst from the rear of the ship and flew out like runaway buzzsaws. The Leviathan flinched upward to move away from the projectiles, but all it did was expose its neck. Its head shredded away and the beast spun in a greenish bloom of its own blood. The sailors jumped up from their post with cheers and shouts as the monster in its bridge sunk down into the darkness. Yuri thought he saw something shoot out of the sunken bridge, but he was overtaken by a very happy quartermaster Tiggs. Engage auxiliary engines, Captain John ordered, then turned to Lear. Fine work, sir. Fine work indeed. I only wish we had another option, Lear said. Without our propellers, we're dead in the water, and there's still a fowl on board. Right, Captain John said. I saw them, Lear said. More were on the bridge of the Leviathan. So was their leader. We're trapped in our own fortress. Right, Captain John said again. We still had the steward of Huron. And a way to reach him, Lear turned to Yuri. Our stagecoach driver could get word to him. I could do what? Yuri said. The fowls cannot smell you, Yuri. Suddenly, there was the sound of glass breaking. The lights went out, and then the cries of joy turned into screams. Near where the propellers had been ejected, Yuri could see the shattered bridge window and the shadow of some hulking monster with thousands of red eyes. It looked like the same shadow that had chased them from Gromwell Village. We've been breached, Captain John yelled. The fowls made their way in after all. Quarantine the bridge. Seal all exits. 
Mermen were screaming and clawing at their skin as the shadows moved toward the front of the bridge. Get Yuri out of here before he sees this, Lear said. He must take the oath first. Take him to the Duke's chamber. Before Yuri could make out the creature, Captain John spun him again and locked eyes. I don't know if I will ever see you again, stagecoach driver, so I will say this. I can see the goodness in your heart. You must save us, Yuri. You must help us get word to the outside. We need the steward of Huron. Captain John yanked the Obmore crab off Yuri's face and pushed him down a merway again. All along the way, he heard the captain's words, you must save us, Yuri. You must help us get word to the outside. We need the steward of 